Amen. We sure are glad Cindy's back. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> if you got your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 1, and I really mean this when I say this, it does my heart good during the off-season as the summer approaches, I'll have folks see me in the community and say, okay, what are you preaching on this summer? And I'm sorry that usually I'm a smart aleck because they normally say, what are you preaching on? I say, well, the platform. They laugh, slap me or something. Then they say, no, 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 what are you preaching about? I said, about 25 minutes. So, thanks for the courtesy laugh. Um, so, what I'm preaching on this summer, besides a new concrete stage, is the book of Galatians. And as I've been studying it in preparation for this sermon series, I've kind of wondered, why have I waited so long to preach this book? I grew up a long time ago. Some of you are going to identify with this. I grew up in a little church. Well, it wasn't real little, but it was a church in Macon, Georgia, that was uh, pretty legalistic. I tell folks I'm a recovering legalist. And some of you are going to identify with this. At my church, certain things just didn't happen. I remember when they, when they brought drums into the church. How many of you remember that? It was a big controversy. In fact, you're thinking, what was so controversial? Listen, there wasn't even a drum set. It was just a track that had drums in it. And, and I thought, you know, what's, Psalms talks about praising the Lord with drums and, and, and uh, cymbals and all those kind of things. The other thing you didn't do in our church was dance. Anybody grew up in one of those churches? In Baptist churches, they call it foot fellowship. You had to have one foot on the floor at all times or you were dancing. And then I read about David in the book of Psalms dancing before the Lord. Women couldn't wear pants. Anybody grow up in a church like that? You were, you were shunned, ladies, if you walked in with pants in the church I grew up in. You couldn't play cards. It wasn't that long ago when I went to seminary in Texas, in Fort Worth, Texas, back in the 80s, that they still didn't allow cards in churches, but they, had, they played this game called 52 with dominoes. And I thought, you're playing cards with dominoes. My, mom, my grandmother wouldn't let you bring a Coca-Cola in her house. There was a crystal hamburger place a block away. I could walk up there and get a crystal hamburger, or several of them. They cost like 12 cents. And come back with a Coca-Cola. I had to sit out on the steps and drink the Coke. before You didn't allow that in the house. Why is it that it's human nature to like we're comfortable in law? We're comfortable in those kind of parameters. And what Paul addresses in the book of Galatians is grace. The difference between law and grace. Law in the Old Testament was meant to point to our need for a Savior. It could never save you. But grace could. And so when we look at this, I've read about some of the heroes of the faith like Martin Luther. I got a picture of Martin Luther. Cameras were different back then. This is obviously an artist's rendering of Martin Luther. But listen to what Martin Luther said about the book of Galatians. The epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. To it I am, as it were, in wedlock. Galatians is my Catherine, the name of his wife, Martin Luther. It changed Martin Luther's life when he finally caught the message of grace in the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church's in Galatia, 
changed his life. John Wesley said basically the same thing. John Wesley said, I've never been the same since understanding the message of grace through the book, the letter of Galatians. So I hope that will be your experience. Even this morning, we're only going to look at the first five chapters. We're just going to crack the book open. But there's some important things I want to unpack for you this morning in these first five verses. Let me read them to you. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle. Then in parentheses, he says, Not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Paul. Paul writes 13 letters in the New Testament. He starts every letter with the same word. Paul. It's important to understand who Paul is, not just from a history perspective, but the message of Galatians, to understand who it's coming from. You think, I had it bad growing up in a legalistic background. Paul had it worse. Paul was a Jew. In fact, he calls himself a Jew among Jews. Paul believed the law so much that he persecuted the first century church before coming to faith in Christ himself, he went out literally and drug people back to Jerusalem who were receivers of grace because they weren't keeping the law. He was like the church policeman that went out and drug people back to Jerusalem. In fact, some of those people that were drugged back were put to death. We don't know if Paul physically participated in death, but it said he was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. In the book of Acts. So you got to understand, when Paul starts preaching grace, he's somebody that got it. <laughs> then he says, apostle. He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. In nine of those letters, he refers to himself as apostle. What does that mean? It means an agent. It means one sent. An ambassador. And he's real specific to say, I'm not an ambassador of man, nor the agency of men. This calling of God did not come from a man, and yet that's exactly what Paul had been about before that. Paul was an agent of the high priest. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says that he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the churches, or the church in Damascus, giving him permission to go into the synagogues and drag people out. He was an agent of an agent of the high priest. And so something's happened in Paul's life. He's gone from being known by his Hebrew name Saul to his Roman name Paul. In fact, in every letter that Paul writes, he never addresses himself by his Hebrew name Saul. He addresses himself by the name Paul. He became a missionary to the Gentiles, to the non-Hebrews. So Paul is on mission. He's an agent He's not an agent of any human or any human agency, but he's an agent and a called apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, listen, I'm not appointed by you. And Paul's addressing attack here. There have been...
people in the first century church, especially the church in Galatia, that are telling lies about Paul. And Paul's saying, I'm not appointed by you. In fact, I'm really not trying to please you. I don't care if you're happy or not. I have a higher calling. I'm an apostle, an agent, one sent by God himself. And he places Jesus and the Father right side by side. That'll make a Jew uncomfortable. And that's exactly what Paul's doing. He's saying, I'm called through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him up from the dead. Important to remember that Jesus he's talking about is now his personal Savior. You remember I told you he went to the high priest asking for letters so that he could go to the synagogues and drag people out to persecute them, bring them back to Jerusalem, imprison them, and maybe even put them to death? You remember what happened after he got those letters? He's on his way to Damascus. He has an encounter with the living Christ. He ends up doing a face plant. Loses his sight from this bright light. And he hears a voice. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus speaks. Why are you persecuting me? And I love the fact Jesus took it personally. Paul was going to drag new believers out of the synagogues. And Jesus says, you're not just persecuting them. Why are you persecuting me? And the rest is history. The testimony of Paul. He doesn't make it to Damascus to drag people out. He becomes one of them. And it's because of Jesus Christ whom God has raised from the dead. So the first point is just Paul's authority. His authority is he's an apostle. He's called by God. And thirdly, he's with the brethren. These are the people who, and let's face it, if you're a believer in the first century and you knew Saul, what did Saul do? He imprisoned Christians. And now all of a sudden he shows up at church. What's your attitude going to be? I'm going to lunch early. (laughs) We're getting out of church because we know about this guy. And yet now they've become his brothers in the faith. And they are with him. And so his platform, his authority is he's an apostle. He's called by God. And he's got the followers of Christ behind him in his corner. Second thing. Is Paul's audience for the letter. The points of this message could simply be, who's it from, who's it to, and what's it about. It's to the specific region of Galatia. Paul had apparently, not apparently, we know from his journeys that we hear about in the book of Acts, he had gone through this region of Galatia, and it had started at least four churches. And so Paul has converts there. People have come to faith in Christ. They are like his spiritual children. And so he writes a letter to the churches there. Now, whether he wrote four or five letters that spread, or or quite often with Paul, there was one letter that went, but it was supposed to just be passed around among the churches. And here's why he's writing a letter. The very people that have become his spiritual children, the people that he loved like his own children, are being led astray. By people that are lying about the gospel, but they're more than that, lying about Paul. And Paul's not there anymore to defend himself, so he's having to send a letter. This is before the day of instant letters. You couldn't send an email. He couldn't pick up the phone and call him. He had to write out a letter and send it to him. Who knows how long it took to get there. But once it got there, we see the rest of Galatians. So he's written it to the church at Galatia. Church. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word church. 
church. Too often we think about a building. We think about where do you go to church, and we think about the corner of a couple of streets. That <laughs> I grew up in a church on the corner of Bible and Pierce Avenue in Macon, Georgia. That's not the church. In fact, the church in the day of Paul wasn't a church made up of a lot of seekers either. You risked your life going to church. So when he writes this letter to the church, he's writing to people who even to gather together in an assembly called the church was risky. So that's who he writes this letter to. And he's like a father. <coughs> Excuse me. The majority of the people he writes to are Gentile converts. These are not people who grew up in any kind of religious background, certainly not a Jewish background. So he's written this letter to the church at Galatia. Then the most important part, what's the purpose? What's he saying? We're just going to look at the first part of the letter today, these next three verses. And Paul, in verse 3, first word is grace to you. Now, that's going to be an important word for them to get and understand because he's about to open up both barrels. He's going to open a can of ninja here in just a minute, and there you're going to see smoke kind of coming out of his ears. He is upset. We're not going to get to that this week. It'll be next week. But for Paul to say grace to you is basically saying, hey, what I'm about to say needs to come from a platform of grace. So Paul is announcing this thought or this word over them, grace to you. What does grace mean? Grace means getting something you don't deserve. That's the simplest definition I can give you for grace. I was playing golf one time with a guy, and he had this long putt. He had already, he already had about eight or nine strokes. I said, pick it up, grace. He said, no, I don't deserve it. I said, exactly. That's why it's called grace. You don't deserve it. We don't come to Christ deserving something. We do come deserving something. We deserve death. We sure don't deserve what he gives us, and that's forgiveness in life as we come to him in faith. So Paul says, grace to you. God's unmerited favor. Listen, grace is free, but it's not cheap. What does grace cost you? Nothing. What did it cost God? Jesus Christ had to go to the cross and die to pay the penalty for sin so that grace could be offered to you. So it's free, but it's not cheap. In fact, grace will change lives. That's how powerful grace is. And then he says, and peace. If you live back in that culture, in fact, if you visit Jerusalem today, one of the greetings they will have is the word shalom. You ever heard that word? Say it with me. Shalom. You know what that word means? Peace. And for them, it wasn't just a little word to say, hey, peace. <laughs> you grew up in the 60s, you know, peace. And you had a sign that meant the peace sign. It really was more prophetic. It was more saying we are looking forward to God's ultimate fulfillment of shalom. In fact, the city, Jerusalem, has the word peace in it. should have been the city of Peace, and yet it, even to this day, is a city of conflict. So when they say shalom, they're really saying, we're looking forward one day to God fulfilling his prophecy of bringing peace. And Paul's saying, it's offered now. Grace and peace to you. Something, listen to this, something the law could not do. Keeping the law would never bring you grace, and it wouldn't bring you peace. Why? Because if you're, if you're keeping, if you're placing your faith, your hope, on the fact you're okay with God by keeping the law, 
What happens when you mess up? Peace out. Peace ain't there anymore. And so the system of the Old Testament was they had a day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Priests had to do special things, pray the sins of the people over the head of these animals and ultimately over the head of the scapegoat. We talked about that at Easter. Won't go back into detail with that. But you lived in a constant state of feeling okay with God until you sinned the first time. Has anybody here, don't raise your hand, anybody here kicked the sin habit? We're still struggling with that, right? That's why we've got to have grace and peace that only comes from God. It doesn't come from keeping the law perfectly. I kind of grew up as a teenager thinking, you know, as long as I can have my quiet time and kind of keep a lid on things, then I can feel good enough to approach God. How crazy that is. Because what does it mean? It means as soon as you mess up, you feel like you can't approach God. You're not welcome in His presence anymore. And Paul's saying, no, grace and peace And how does this grace and peace come from God? So as a child of God, what he's saying to the Galatian believers is, you can walk every day in grace and peace, and they weren't doing that. And when news got to Paul of what was happening in Galatia, it upset him, it troubled him, because it's like somebody's messing with one of his kids. And if you're a parent, you know what that feels like. I'd rather have somebody come up and punch me in the nose. Please don't take me up on that today. But I'd rather you hurt me than hurt one of my kids. i got four kids. They're getting big enough now to take care of themselves. But don't mess with my kids. And that's why Paul is writing this letter to say, you have experienced God's grace. You've come to faith in Christ. You're part of the church. He's going to say in the next verse next week that we get to, I'm amazed you've turned away from that. How could that be? So men and women, how about you? Are you walking every day in the grace and peace that only comes from a relationship in Jesus Christ? Or are you just trying to keep the lid on it yourself? Because it don't work. You will be riddled the rest of your life by guilt and feeling like you can't come to God unless you come to God the way he offers for you to come. By trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, receiving his grace and then his peace. In fact, the Bible calls it a peace that passes understanding. It's from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself. He's unpacking a little more truth about Christ, and I love the word gave. It means to bestow or to present. When Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, they did not take his life. You need to hear that. You need to think about that. He gave his life. When he was leading, leaving the Garden of Gethsemane, remember what Peter did? Took out a little sword, cut, cut his ear off. Jesus said, don't you know I could have called 12 legions of angels? You know how many angels that would be? Like 70,000 angels. And I've thought about that a lot. I thought, you know, how many angels would it have taken to come in and gotten Jesus off the cross? I'm thinking one. Don't you think 70,000 would have been a bit overkill? So what's Jesus saying? They're not taking my life. I'm giving my life. In fact, the last thing Jesus says on the cross is, it is finished. Under your hands I commit my spirit. In fact, Pilate was surprised he had died when he did. He thought he would have lasted a little longer. 
There's reasons why I think he died when he did, but the main reason is he gave his life. So Paul's teaching him some deep theology here to understand Jesus Christ gave his life for what? For your sins. On our behalf. In fact, not only just on our behalf, but in our place. Somebody had to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. And it was Christ that did it. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he gave to pay the penalty for our sin. And then I love this next phrase, so that he might rescue us. There have been some attempted rescues in modern day. I'm going to go beyond, way past modern day. There's rescues in Scripture. Book of Daniel, when it was translated from Hebrew into Greek in the Septuagint, they used this word when Nebuchadnezzar called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into his presence and said, hey, how come when the music starts you're not bowing down and worshiping me? I'm going to give you one last chance. Next time the music starts, you better bow down and worship me because if you don't, what God is there that can rescue you? What's he saying? I'm God, and if you don't bow down and worship me, you're toast. What happens? God rescues them. And why in the world, if you've been rescued, if you've been in a hostage situation and you've been rescued, are you going to say, you know what, I think I'm going to go back there. No thanks for the rescue. That's close to what the children of Israel said when they came out of Egypt. Biggest rescue on the planet Earth (laughs) was millions of Jews that were held captive in Egypt. God sends Moses down to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. The people get out of Egypt, and stuff gets kind of tough in the desert. And they're saying, we want to go back to the captivity. Well, that's kind of what the people in Galatians were doing. They had been rescued from this world system, rescued out of darkness, and now because of people buzzing in their ear with lies and deception, they're almost ready to go backwards into captivity to sin again. That's why it's so amazing for Paul. How could you even think about doing such a thing? You have been rescued literally to tear out or to release from this present evil age. Paul's saying to them 2,000 years ago, and I would say it to us, we're living in a present evil age. But I want you to hear the word. It's the word present. This evil age is not for eternity. It doesn't last forever. And you can be rescued out of it now. You can be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus has come to rescue you out of the domain of darkness that is very present in our world, just like it was 2,000 years ago with Paul writes the letter to Galatians. Have you been rescued out of this evil age according to the will of our God and Father? That has been God's will since the very beginning, that he would send a rescuer to pay the penalty for your sin and to tear you out of the grip of this present evil age. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember what he prayed? Father, if there's any other way, 
for this cup to pass for me. If there's any other way to accomplish the mission, then let's do it that way. But ultimately, not my will, but your will be done. It was the Father's will and his good pleasure that Christ gave his life on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God the Father and spend eternity with him in heaven to be rescued. Then the last verse, to whom be glory forevermore. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He died ultimately so the Father would be glorified. Throughout the pages of the Old Testament, they had been pointing to something. All that sacrifice every year, millions of animals that were killed. Blood that was shed to pay temporarily for sin. Cover it. When Christ died on the cross, he did it once and for all so that we could be rescued. That was God's will. And so because of that, to him be the glory. In other words, let the bright light shine on him and him alone. And not just now, but forevermore. God is glorified. Let's pray together. You bow your heads and think about the message of Galatians for this hour. Ultimately, God's will has been done. He's been glorified. The payment for, for sin has been fully accomplished. And you can now have a right relationship with God. Father, thank you for that truth. God, I pray for men and women gathered here as we hear just these first five verses and unpack just, God, there's a lot of meat here. Help us to chew on it this week and ask ourselves the question, what am I counting on for salvation? What's going to make me right with God? Is it going to be my perfect obedience to the law? Or would I come to God and say, I have to acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And so I come to you for rescue. Thank you for that truth in Christ's name.